Welcome to No Dunks. I'm Tass Mellis, here with the fellows, Skeets, Trey, Lee, and JD. And we are very excited to have in studio Washington Wizards beat writer for The Athletic and host of Wizards After Dark, a Wizards post-game podcast. He used to cover the thunder. He loves a good pun. <laughs> Fred Katz is in the building. Fred, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing to be with the guys who do the pun gun. That's just an <laughs> incredible experience for me. We will get to that later. Uh, first, we got to start with the sad news, um, the most important news that rocked the NBA on Sunday. And you were down at the Hawks and the Wizards touching stuff happening all over the place with the 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 violation the 24 second violation the eight second violation to start the game trey young wearing the number eight for those two violations and then sharing uh stories post game just give us the feeling of what it was like to be in that building it it was so weird because like and i was i was talking about this with people last night you you when you go through tragedy, you you kind of want to turn to things as distractions, whatever those distractions might be in your life. And for a lot of us, it's just sports. And it was weird going to the sporting event, but having that be the opposite of the distraction, having that be the memorial. You kind of didn't know where to turn. And it's weird because everybody you talk to either knew Kobe or knew someone who knew him, knew his family. Uh, it was it was such a just just dark and 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 horrible experience i think for just everybody involved it, it felt like nobody really wanted to be there right I and mean, how how could you you know mm. um after going through it though do you think looking back that they should have played the games did was it uh was it therapeutic for people was it good for players to just get thrown into the fire to be able to instead of be sitting at home and grieving to be able to be with their colleagues who are sharing the same experience as them. I don't know. I've thought about it a lot. I kind of understand both perspectives. Like Isaiah, for Isaiah Thomas, no. Like Isaiah Thomas, he was super close with Kobe, and he said after the game that he thought the games should have been canceled, and that's a perfectly legit mm-hmm. um, way to feel. I think everybody kind of grieves in their own way. I'm sure there were players, like I think it was, it was Kawhi, right, who said last night that, Kobe would have wanted them to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think everybody just kind of grieves in, in their own way. Kyrie Irving, you know, missed last night's game for personal reasons. reasons. Like, everybody just kind of needs to handle it in their their own way. I, I don't know what the league could have done because it, it, it must have been, I imagine, just so difficult. That Rockets game was about to tip off when, when the news came out. And it must have just been so difficult from a logistical perspective to, to figure out what to do in such a t- short time frame. So I don't think it's worth, like making any sort of criticism of the league because I don't I can't imagine a, a way that you could handle that well you know mm-hmm. uh, so I, I don't know I imagine it's different for everybody well you've, you've already written about uh, the game your experience there do you mind sharing with us here the uh, the Players Tribune story about Kobe that you shared uh, in your article today yeah yeah I love that story so I was I was chatting with uh, with with someone who worked at the Players' Tribune, like, years ago. And I had this conversation with this person, like, must have been, it was, it was years ago for sure, not too long after Kobe wrote Dear Basketball. This person told me that, you know, during Players' Tribune, it's like, the players aren't, aren't writing a lot of that stuff. What? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable, right? <laughs> How dare you? Just hacking away at the computers. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable that like Kevin Durant is not Walt Whitman on right. top of yeah, it. Right. I <laughs> um, believed Chris Humphrey's swimming stories though. <laughs> I believed I believed he penned those. He probably did. <laughs> he probably Chris, did. Chris Humphreys being a being a legitimate amazing swimmer and beating Michael Phelps is one of the most <laughs> incredible yeah. niche NBA things yeah, no one sure. needs to know. Yeah. Um but yeah, so the players don't really write that. So they'll do an interview, and and a ghostwriter will will pen it first, you know, first person, or or maybe they'll write something and it'll get heavily edited and they'll go in, and that makes perfect sense because yeah. it's all the stuff on there is really well written. So so it makes perfect sense. And uh, this person told me that the the only piece that they ever received, and the person was like, "You have to run this. This is perfect. Don't edit it. It's beautiful." was when Kobe sent in Dear Basketball. Wow. And they were like, this is really good. I, it's Kobe. Like, what are we going to do? I guess we just we run it. They ran it. 
Uh, and then he turns it into an animated short, and it wins an Oscar, and <laughs> and it's like this, this, and I just think it's so. Uh, no, I didn't know Kobe, but I just think it's so from everything that you hear about him, read about him, the way he talked about the Mamba mentality as a lifestyle and not a basketball persona. I I just I always thought that story was incredible and so i i hit up this person yesterday and i was like you have to let me tell this story it is it is such a great way to kind of remember his character mm-hmm. i thought uh and so i so i wrote that yesterday that was phenomenal it was great you included that there's there's stories coming out of that that hawks wizards game as well just showing how as you said the mom mentality dedicated to what he did uh dedicated also now to his uh, in the past few years since his retirement to his children and Trey Young talked about post game how Gigi uh, Gianna his, his his late daughter now was loving the way Trey Young was playing basketball so Kobe reached out to Trey Young's trainer and made that connection for Gigi to be able to train with that trainer because she, he wanted to see that connection he wanted that for his child and I, I thought that was a great story and that's how their sort of relationship Kobe and Trey Young's uh, relationship sort of blossomed uh, and it was great it, I don't know how a lot of these guys stood on the podium post game and verbally eloquently were able to tell their stories but Trey was and uh, you know I, I think it was it all in all I think it was therapeutic and it was very very difficult for people but I think it was sort of it was a good thing in the end but um we can move on now to a little wizards talk. What we what we booked you in here for everyone's uh, favorite thing a while ago. <laughs> wizards talk. <laughs> well, I, I love honestly, in all honesty, that we had because we came in late last night to do the podcast talking about Kobe and trying to wrap our heads around our feelings. And like I think, like most people, I'm sure listening to this today or whenever they're listening to it, are still like in a funk, sad, obviously grieving. I know I am. Um, but I will say I love seeing Fred Katz's face in this studio. He's got a great, he's just a, a lovable looking guy, smiley guy. So I'm happy that, you know, not, we're not by no means, oh, we're moving on already or stuff like that. But it is a little bit back to business, that mama mentality. And I, I'm, I'm happy that you are here today, un, even around these weird, unfortunate circumstances. Well, I'm very excited to be here. I think you guys, you guys provide a wonderful experience, which is that you make people laugh when they need to. We try so. to. We try to. We got a great Kobe story from Lily last night, uh, <laughs> asking about the World Cup. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to dig it up if I can. Uh, if I can find. Oh, you think it. you've got well, the clip? I've got the clip. I just it's on a drive. I'm trying to see if I can access the drive. So. Oh, JD, sorry, you're uh, gonna be. Oh, we've already been days. slacking. Yeah. Back. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. All right, let's talk. Let's talk some wizards. Like yeah, because it's not as depressing as it seemed to be coming into the season, I think. Well, yeah. Fred's looking <laughs> yeah. 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 Fred's a little looking there, That's Fred. true. That's 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 true. But because I think there are some likable characters. It has it has been a positive viewing experience for the casual NBA fan too. They look they watch some of these games and they say, Whoa, I like these guys. You know, Rui Achimura is a very likable guy. You mentioned the new Isaiah Thomas. Uh, there's stories like Davis Bertans, Garrison Matthews. Garrison Matthews, in general, has covering the Wizards been fun this year. Yeah, it actually has. It it has. It, the, the The defense is is wild. It's <laughs> what just, defense? Yeah, yeah. Huh? it's 152 it's on on Sunday. They gave up to the Atlanta Hawks. Well, I'm pretty sure that the Hawks and Wizards have been involved in every 150-point game so far this year. <laughs> no. So that one of them would score 152 against the other is is pretty perfect. Right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's wild. I mean, John Collins had about 768 dunks in the first three minutes of that game, and I had no reaction to them. <laughs> right. It's just like this is what it's supposed to look like. Uh, but they've. what's weird about it uh, and it kind of tells like a tale of expectations and how they affect the way we watch things is that this year's team is pacing to win fewer games than last year's team, which won 32. This year they're 15 and 30. And, and yet the vibe could not be more different this year than it was last year. Hmm. I mean, last year was a, was a really depressing locker room. Uh, they they kind of had strife at the beginning of the year. And then I thought it just kind of turned very apathetic and going through the motions by the end of the year everyone you could tell was very excited for the season to end like everybody (laughs) not just the players just everybody Everybody, i think the coaching staff scott brooks everybody was just like let's move on to next year and make this happen they tore it down brought in all new people they have a good locker room now they get along really well 
look, they don't play defense, but like this is the classic case of just not having defensive ability. They play hard. They mm-hmm. try really hard. It's not like last year they didn't play defense because they just wouldn't rotate. Jeff Green had like an 11 game stretch where he didn't have an offensive rebound. <laughs> he was playing the four for the entire time. It was un- it was Dimaggio like it was amazing. Yeah, uh, and, and, and like that was the vibe of last year. But this year, like. Yeah, they're giving up 140, but they're they're scoring, you know, 125. Yeah. And Jordan McRae is randomly going for 24 <laughs> off the bench. And it's likable personalities. And it's just a different sort of feeling, you know? Do they talk about their defensive struggles? Like, is it just a known thing within the locker room even? Like, yeah. we're just not good on that end of the Yeah, world. yeah. Like, I think uh, one of them could be listening to this podcast and hearing everything I just said. Instead of coming up to me tomorrow and being like, "What are you doing talking about us like that?" They would just be non long, be like, "Yeah, mm, right." <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're they're very they're very self aware. Mm. I think they've given up enough points that I haven't checked where their defensive efficiency is after last night. Uh, but they had the second worst since the NBA started tracking per possession data in 1996 <laughs> wow. going into last night. Uh, and I guess after giving up 152. It might have gone up. <laughs> well, when David, so. when David Aldridge, the great Hall of Famer David Aldridge on The Athletic, is using the acronym DFL, dead f***ing last, <laughs> to explain the Wizards' efficiency on defense, that is something. I mean, that, he used that in a, in a story. And I was like, that, I said that out loud yesterday while I was reading it. I was like, what the? Um, there's something going on. But you said it's strife-free, and that's what they've been making headlines for the last few years. That's Those are the headlines. There's something going on. Mar- Marching Gortats get into it, John Wally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that must be nice that that's yeah. not happening. I, see, I people like to read about the drama. I hate covering the drama. Like I would, It's so much more fun to just be around people who like each other, you know, from a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. It's more fun to cover yeah. positive things. You know, even though they lose, like Garrison Matthews, that was a fun story. Jan Mahimi... Hitting threes. Hit, hitting threes <laughs> is, is outrageous. No one in the world. Okay, so Kevin Arnovitz said on a podcast not long ago that the most exciting second in basketball is when John Morant's in the air and you don't know what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's when Jan Mahimi is raising the three. <laughs> <laughs> and you know who agrees with me? Jan, Jan Mahimi. Yeah. So he's loving it. He's just loving it. He's like, I got the green light. I'm Jan Mahimi. I can shoot any three I want. Is that actually the philosophy? They're like, anybody can shoot. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he <laughs> legit worked really hard on shooting threes for like years and just finally implemented it. But he is so proud. He's so proud because right. he worked so hard at it, and he's so proud, and he gets so giddy whenever he makes a three. And Jan is, like, beloved as a teammate. And so everyone else gets so— It's for him, and yeah. Everyone else gets so excited because they, they have the same reaction that we do yeah. whenever Jan rises for a three. And, like, he hits—you watch him in practice in open gym, and he's just draining them over and over again. This is like a, a dude who would never step out <laughs> four years ago, and it's, uh, it's, it's hilarious. It's great. When he hit his first career three— Last year, I vividly remember him walking out of the locker room. He's got three daughters. Him walking out of the locker room with, like, his young daughter, maybe three years old or so. And he's holding her. And I see them from afar. And I just see him go, hold up his fingers and go, no, one, two, three. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the most adorable moments I've ever seen. How long have you been covering the Wizards now? A uh, year and a half. year and a half. And before that, you were covering the, the Thunder. Yeah. For how long in total for them? A little over two years. Okay. Um, so you, had, it... you had a little break there where you, where you covered the Celtics. Like. Yes. Oh, just right, a little right, taste. Right. Just, just a taste. I, I, I cover the Celtics for as long as one possibly can without covering a Celtics game. <laughs> <laughs> I went in the week after they lost in the conference finals and left the day before media day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A little quick little stop there. It was tremendous. But yeah. how, I guess, like, with, especially with the Thunder and, and Westbrook being on that team, yeah, is it, is it completely different, the vibe of the, yeah. for, of the locker room, the organization? Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a Westbrook locker room is just totally different from any other kind of locker room, you know, where, uh, especially when the media is in there. I'm, I'm sure it's different when, when the media yeah. leaves, but when the media is in there, you, you almost feel like you have to whisper. Uh, you know, we, you can't distract anything. You have to be as unseen as you possibly can. You, I would very rarely pregame even go, you know, I had a good relationship with Steven Adams. 
and I would very rarely even go to Steven Adams' locker pregame just to ask him how he was doing and have a conversation with him because his locker was on the side of the locker room that Russ's was on. And we, like, just – you don't broach that territory unless you absolutely had to almost. Mm. So I would end up pregame, if I ever had to talk to anybody, I would go talk to Jeremy Grant or Alex Brinas. Just because Josh of their Eustace, location. Because of their, <laughs> just because of geography. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was just a very – it was a very different vibe. And that's from a media perspective, obviously. Yeah. But it was – you know, this locker room is, like – like loud, the Wizards one is loud and boisterous and and much younger, <laughs> right? Um, and you know they're like, yeah, you're not walking on eggshells. No, not like in that. the least. Yeah. Like you can, you know, you can you can have you know conversations with guys and just because to me the the best part of the game is, is of the job is not like walking up to people and interviewing them. It's it's being able to go up to John Wall and being like, you see Zion's debut? How how crazy was that 17-point right. stretch? And then John's like, it was amazing. And then you're just talking basketball with people who have this unbelievable basketball knowledge. Like, how cool is that, you know? And so being able to do that is so much fun for me. That, that must have been crazy, though, with Westbrook and Stephen Adams because Stephen Adams seems the opposite, that he'll talk about anything and he's loose and he's carefree. So when you got him there and you got Re- Re- Russell Westbrook there, you still wanted to stay away from from Stephen Adams. You didn't sort of want to go in and see what pregame, he, yeah, 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 pregame for sure, because it just wasn't um, it wasn't worth making my life more <laughs> difficult. Usually, I could talk to him at another time, and mm-hmm. and and that would kind of be it. So yeah, yeah, it was just it's he it's difficult to cover a Westbrook team. You kind of have to figure out ways to like. Yeah, like you can you can try to win the battle, but like you're probably gonna lose the war. Do you, do you um, feel though that Westbrook respected you? No, as a, no, God not no. at all. <laughs> no, no, very few people respect me. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Even my mother is like, ah. <laughs> She's like wizards. I don't blame him for that. <laughs> what, what, what was it that Stephen Adams used to say at the end of a scrum? Um. Uh, fare thee well, golden horses. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him once what <laughs> say it all the time. I asked him once. That's so good. I asked him once uh, what that meant, and he said, "I don't know, mate. Just trying English." <laughs> uh, must, yeah, it must be a little bit different. Yeah, the a little different. Um, Steve, Steven's a gem, though. Yeah, he is genuinely one of the funniest people I've ever met. Yeah. Have you crossed paths with him since you've been? Yeah, I did a story on him like uh, a month and a half ago or so about oh. how he walks around barefoot. barefoot. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a character. I love that. That can be a story. Yeah, with <laughs> Stephen Adams, that can be because because right? the story. Well, the story was like it started two and a half years ago because I saw him wearing sandals and shorts in Utah. And I was like, "What are you doing?" It was it was in like December or January, <laughs> and I was like, "What are you doing?" Wearing sandals and shorts in Utah. He's like, I wear sandals and shorts everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes I don't wear sandals at all. I just walk around barefoot. And he's just like, sometimes just, he just shows up to work sometimes, just literally not wearing shoes. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and so it started there. And then I just hit up the thunder and I was like, I really want to do this story. All it is, is just a showcase of Steven's personality. Like. I'm just let's just put a microphone in his face. If I start asking him about feet, he's gonna say some weird stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> so let's just let's just showcase Steven's personality and we'll use the the barefoot thing as a vehicle right. to let Steven be really funny and the appeal of the story is just gonna be look at all of these hilarious quotes from Steven Adams. And and that was You it. nailed it. It and, worked. And that's why it was a story when Chris Paul bought all of his OKC teammates suits and Steven Adams actually wore it. He actually wore pants. Yes. That, yes. was, that was the story because he wore pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, incredible. Um, all right, let's get back to the Wizards just for for a brief moment here. You said everybody is jovial. There is one guy who is, is frustrated, Bradley Beal, the best player. He is frustrated with the play in general. Um, he did sign a quote-unquote contract extension this season. I say quote-unquote because it's a, a year plus a player option. I saw that and I said, okay, he's giving the team some time. To, to turn things around, but really, it's just a one-year extension. In in all actuality, he's going to be there for a while through 2022 player option for 22-23. But he can be traded next year. I just bring that up because he's frustrated. 
how long can he stay frustrated for? <laughs> like, can it can this go on forever? Like, he's obviously dedicating himself. He's he talked to Chris Haynes this week. He compared himself to Damian Lillard as a one team type of guy, ideally. Um, but is will it boil over at some point? Do you think it will boil over if they start to win when John Wall comes back next year? That's that's when he's fine. I think he's frustrated because they lost fifty last year. And they're going to lose 50-plus again this year. And he doesn't like to lose. And I, I don't agree, you know, when Brad said that stuff about being frustrated with the culture. And, you know, then he was asked about the culture. Uh, you know, how's the culture have to change? And he said start winning games. I don't agree with the people who compared that to, to Kevin Love in Cleveland. I think it's okay to sign an extension knowing that the team is not going to be good. And then still be frustrated when the team's not good. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the same thing as putting on public displays of of being pissed off uh, and and showing it on the court and letting it affect your play and, and, and your leadership. It's different when you just, like, kind of have a moment when you say it in a post-game interview and doing that on the court, you know? Mm-hmm. I think you're allowed to be upset when you lose, uh, no matter whether you extended or whether you desperately won out. I think for Brad, his number one choice is, like, he wants to win in Washington. And he's said it many times. Like, I think he's, he's big on the, on the Dirk thing. Like, I think that Dirk title really, really affected him hmm. in that he's a big believer. Like, that one title that Dirk got after being there for, what was it, 13 years at the time, right? After being there for 13 yep. years and he, they had all those playoff failures and all those struggles and they go through it and Dirk carries them to a title – like he wants that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's that idea that one title can oddly mean more than winning five or something like yeah. that. Yeah, like that yeah. one special one. Yeah. Like he Blender. did say that to Chris Haynes this week. Yeah, too. yeah, exactly I mean, I, that. So, so they opened up in Dallas this year, and I was talking to him, and I was talking to him just about like the concept of loyalty, and we were there in Dallas, and and I was like, what is what is loyalty to you? And I think he got a little frustrated. He got, I know he got a little frustrated with me because I think he thought that I was like mm-hmm. questioning yeah. whether yeah. or not he was being honest. And uh, and he said to me like, no loyalty is that. And he and he pointed to the the Dirk silhouette on the court in Dallas. He's like, that's what I want. I want that. And I think he's being genuine in that. Uh, so I think I think he would like to win the most in Washington. That being said, if if they don't get their stuff together and they don't start to win at some point, I I don't think. And uh, you know, this is just me just talking. Uh, I I don't know if like it's a thing where it's like I'll stay here for 20 years even if we lose 50 games for 16 of them. Like, I don't mm. think that's going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Wizards say they want to try to win next year. John Wall's coming back, and they're going to have another high pick, and their young guys, you know, the Rehachimers of the world, will get a little bit older, and I think they will be better. We'll see what they do this summer. Uh, but but you know the I would not say the clock is ticking at all with Brad. Like it's three years, it's it's too early for this. Uh but his his heart is for sure in DC. I don't know if it's the way he carries himself too. I always forget Bradley Beal's only twenty six. He seems like a more he's a vet. He's very he's been around for a while. Person. Right. But yeah. in my head I'm like, oh yeah, you gotta start thinking about like trying to get that ring. Like he's not in any rush by any no, means. So he's, he's still very, very young. He's at the very beginning of his prime. Yeah. He's just a very polished yeah. person. Yeah. So he comes off as as older, yeah, you know, wiser, like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Like I'm four years older than him, and I don't, I don't feel like like I'm way <laughs> more. You're not in your prime just yet. No, I spend like way too much time in my underpants to get myself. <laughs> you're real, you're real Stephen Adams about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the the point about um, just the way he carries himself is important because he also it, it's important as far as basketball goes too because he, he also doesn't go out there on social media. He's not he's not a a talker out there. Um, and so he feels, I've heard him talk about, his lack of exposure sort of hurts his rep around the league and potentially uh, his all-star appearance. He talked about him not being you know, pretty low in the fan vote. I think he was ninth overall in guards, uh, even though he's a two-time all-star and, and balling out this year, uh, again, because he's a great player. Uh, do you think that lack of exposure sort of hurts his rep around the league or is it just sort of with fans um, and, and I guess you can go into whether or not you, you think he'll be named a reserve on Thursday when TNT announces the All-Star Reserves. I do think he'll be named a reserve. I think the coaches tend to 
reward the guys who have been there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, they I, rank they you know the players ranked him extremely high. The fans obviously did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I think. I don't know. It's hard to say if it hurts his rep around the league because he did finish second in the player vote. But at the same time, last year he was the last pick in the All Star draft, huh. oh, yeah. and and so it's a it's weird. True. Or is it just, just playing in DC? Yeah, weird. it mean. I mean, look, DC. It's weird because DC is a great high school basketball market, and yet the Wizards fan base is is not too large, and is not that passionate, uh, and so. You know, the Wizards have to be really good to get a lot of national TV games and that kind of stuff. I don't know how much that affects players. I feel like players tend to – a big difference between players and fans is players, I think, more so tend to prioritize the guy who can just square you up and get a bucket against you. Yep. And Bradley Beal can definitely – he's averaging 28 a game, and mm-hmm. he's running an offense that we all thought didn't have very much talent coming into the year and is in the top half of the league in efficiency now. And getting and, doubled. Yeah, and getting doubled every single game and – yeah, so I I think the players – I would say the players do respect him because of the way the coaches game plan against him, because of the way the players guard him, because he was second in the player vote. I mean, that's probably the best example yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. But, but not being famous has to hurt him in the fan vote. Yeah, I mean, just – I mean, you know, not being famous comparatively, obviously. But he also, like – I I think – I don't think it bothers him that much because he doesn't go out of his way – to do this stuff like I, he he doesn't really care that much about going and doing national commercials and and being really famous and trying for he really likes memes he does he does enjoy being memed. he's a big meme guy he, he enjoys being oh, so he memed. must have loved the whole uh interaction he had with the fan right with that, that shot and gave oh. him a classic look he 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 recreated it with the wizard's twitter account yeah. right and yeah, yeah yeah he 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 enjoys being memed I, I don't think he'll ever say it out loud That's awesome. no one becomes memes that often and doesn't doesn't you know isn't in on the joke right uh so he he definitely enjoys that but other than that like he's He's not trying for for massive national deals. Like he just he's not very attention seeking, uh, no. which makes him. That's I think that contributes that you know polished personality and stuff, mm. and makes him kind of a um, not very celebrity type personality, and certainly makes him more relatable. But you know, also it's not going to make him as famous. Yeah, I did see him. He was pissed about the fan vote, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess he, he's not into, but he's just not into the whole. Hey, I'm on Instagram. No, nah, he's thing. like just like a. He just wants to hang out with his family, hang out with his kids, hang out with his fiance. Speaking just have of some his, good wholesome fun. Speaking of his fiance, uh, he had a baby a couple of years ago. I think he's got two under two now, um, and uh, he said he gained a lot of sympathy weight. You gained. You actually joined the Wizards right when he had that child. <laughs> so did you? He said he gained twenty pounds of pizza and ice cream. That's what he said. It was just late night pizza and ice cream. Did you see that in in the panda in the I, big panda? I thought you were gonna ask me if I gained sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> so did I for a second. No. <laughs> I've been I've been gaining unintentional sympathy weight for, <laughs> for years. Just sympathy for everyone. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're ready. Yeah, <laughs> so much bad stuff in the world, guys. I need ice cream. Um, did did I no? I did not notice the uh, the, the sympathy weight. Okay. I wish I, I wish I had. What a question would that be in a, in a, in a scrum? Nah. Post game. Don't do it. Follow up the defense. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that Ben and Jerry's, Brad? <laughs> we've we've seen recently. You know, John Wall. He, pre-game he's working out you know you see the clip well John Wall still looks amazing what what is the latest on on him coming back from the injury what, what do we know or what do you know as the Wizards beat reporter uh I I still don't expect him to come back this year okay I I think when he comes back he wants to be like back and there's no rush it's not like they're pushing for the playoffs and, and I think one thing that we have to remember and it's really important is that when people watch him and he's going against player development staff or whatever it is, and it's it's fun, it's really cool to watch that kind of stuff and be able to sit there and like watch John Wall when we have our you know our our camera phones up, watch John Wall dunk and then stare us down because he just kind of misses performing as yeah. a basketball player. You know, like that's always a fun experience. But when you watch that stuff, you have to remember it's not it's not just about the Achilles healing. They they have to work on everything else like DeMarcus Cousins is is the saddest example of this right where he he comes back from an Achilles and then 
has a compensatory injury. And so it's not just about like healing the Achilles. You're, you're subconsciously doing so much other stuff with your body. You need to get into, you know, premier shape. And mm -hmm. on top of that, you, you need to, it's not just like having a six pack. It's, it's, it's realizing that you're actually subconsciously putting 53% of your body weight on one side when you used to put 50. And that makes you more likely to an injury on the other side. You know, there are all these things that you have to sort out. And I don't think anybody, John Wall included, really wants to have him rush back and then have, have another bad thing happen to him. Uh, so I don't, think, I don't think John is, I don't get the impression that John is pushing them. Right. Like, I have to come back, I have to come back. And I don't get the impression that they're, they're pushing him. I think everybody involved, you know, from the doctors to the team to John himself, wants to be as, as cautious as possible. And that's why even though I think it's possible we get to a point at the end of the year where, like, in March, it's like John Wall can technically play basketball, I, I don't predict that he's going right. to play. So you think at the start of next season is when I think the Wall start and Beal are back out there together. Yeah, I mean, his rehab from everything I hear and everything I see is, is right on track. Mm. I mean, there don't seem to be any – the timeline seems to be pretty – pretty much what they expected so yeah i would everything i hear it seems like he'll be back for next year they're planning on winning you said next year they hope to win at least next year they got yam mahini mahimi shooting threes this year no big deal <laughs> what's the team going to be like then when wall comes back because he'll be somewhat diminished as a player missing a season and a half in that same time beal has become an all-star he'll probably make the all-star game twice since john wall has been out there were rumors of those guys not getting along in the past. You know, there was the big blow up at practice with Beal when he was upset then. Beal seems like he should be the number one guy when John Wall gets back. But Wall also doesn't seem like a guy that's just going to be chilling in the corner waiting for somebody to kick him the ball. Yeah. How's I, that going to work? I also think people always talk about it from a personality perspective. There's just the style, like just the stylistic one. Yeah. I mean, John Wall and Bradley Beal had stylistic contrasts the last time that John Wall was healthy, right? And we talked about just from a basketball fit, not a personality fit. And I actually do think – now, I've only been on the beat for a year and a half. And, and, and it's, it's plausible their relationship has, has progressed and improved during this time. But from – I see them together a lot. And they, they seem to get along really well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I personally have not witnessed the, the relationship stuff that was put out about them before. Uh, but it's always possible, like, when, when guys stop playing together, they just treat each other as people and not basketball players. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's Also just getting older and yeah, maturing. Yeah, for sure. And that, that stylistic contrast on the court just doesn't come into play in the relationship one bit, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, and I think they both like each other as people a lot. On the court, though, stylistically, the last time Brad, John and Brad played together when John was healthy, and, like, I don't consider last year John being healthy because mm -hmm. he played through the bone spurs and everything. Brad was a different player. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't running as much pick and roll. He wasn't the guy who was getting doubled off the dribble. He wasn't getting to the rim all the time. He was much more of the catch and shoot guy that he was when he came into the league. Yeah. And so it's not even that John Wall and and Bradley Beal have to kind of get back to playing together how they did before. John almost has to relearn who Brad is because he's he's a different player yeah. than he was two or three years ago. He just has a different skill set and plays a different style and is best when you use him a different way. So I think it's possible, especially in 2020. Like we've seen the more ball handlers, the better. Like that is the way you optimize your offense. You want as many ball handlers and creators on the floor. So I, I, I believe like as a basketball person that the more – ball handlers you can add the better but you need you need a coach who's going to be able to sort that out well you need players who are who are willing to uh figure out how to contribute in other ways and that means you know john wall figuring out uh how to be effective off the ball uh you know cut cut better and maybe improve his jump shot but specifically cut better people don't realize and i didn't realize this i started covering john john is a basketball savant it is crazy talking about basketball with him. So I think he has for in sure. In the sense, what of just like he knows every play the being X's run. Knows. Yeah. It's the LeBron stuff. Yeah. You know how LeBron like tracks back plays. Oh, he's from like, oh, yeah, eight ago. games ago or yeah, eight years ago. And yeah. fifth game of the season, we did this. And then they countered with that. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell you what all 10 players did on the floor. I can tell you why they did it. It's, it's almost like. It's almost like, you know, when like a great lawyer can argue either side of any case. That's kind of John. You watch him make this kind of like reckless turnover, and he will give you an extraordinarily in-depth X's nose answer for why he made that turnover. And you're like, yeah, but it's still a like, turnover. <laughs> but he had such an intelligent reason for doing it. Right. And he knows so much more than I do. 
so I don't really know what to think of this. It's, it's kind of an amazing experience covering him in that way. And so I think John for sure has the intellectual capacity to figure out how to be better moving off the ball and that stuff. I mean, we'll see how, how it meshes when they're back. I don't know. Yeah. But, but I do think there's a world in which they figure out how to make it work. It is one of the more fascinating relationships in the NBA because the casual fan will just say, oh, they don't like each other. But Bradley Beal signs on, and he must believe that it can work to some degree. And he did mention, as, as Skeets mentioned there, that the maturity will help them point blank. And maybe maybe he mentioned that this week uh, to Chris Haynes because they have been off the court and, and been buddy-buddy. Uh, but they've won playoff rounds together, but they haven't gone to a conference finals. And it, it seems like watching it, you know, us, us watching it, these two guys, they're just so good. And as you said, every team is running multiple ball handlers right now. Like, they should be great. And it's going to be, I guess, on on Coach Scott Brooks to, to make it happen. And let's talk about uh, Scott Brooks. Is his job secure for – how long is it secure for, do you think? Because this year it's got to be. Yeah, it's, it's fine now. Mm-hmm. I, I I have no worries about him right now. Whenever there's a GM change and the GM comes in and the coach stays, there's always the question of, like, does he want to hire his own coach? I do know Tommy Shepard, who they hired last summer, and Scott Brooks uh, have a very good relationship. And Tommy Shepard was the assistant GM when Scott Brooks was hired. The two of them have known each other for a really long time. Uh, so I I... I don't anticipate anything happening soon. I don't know. Like, I just, I couldn't tell you. People ask me, like, people ask me that question all the time. What about this summer? It's like, I don't know. Yeah. I That would entail predicting the future, and I just have, have no idea. I can tell you for now, Scott Brooks is fine, uh, and that he's got another year on his contract after this one, and I don't anticipate anything happening this season. And then this summer, we'll... Well, you know, just like any coach entering the last year on his contract, we'll see what happens. But, I, you know, you talk to people around the league and people inside the Wizards, and I think people are pretty happy with the job that Scott's done with this team. They play they play really hard, and they've somehow, him and, and assistant coach Robert Pack, who runs the offense, they've they've crafted this, this offense with Jan Mahimi <laughs> bombing, bombing threes. Jan Mahimi. Jan bombs. <laughs> Yama three mace. He has he has four times as many threes in his career as Ben Simmons right now. Oh boy! Oh boy! Well, it's been, but it's been more than just Yarn. It's been the the Latvian lasers been uh, on oh, well, fire this season. I mean, but that's like props to to their coaching staff, right? For real, they they use Bertans totally. The Spurs would park him in the corner if he took some of the shots he's taking on the Spurs. Right. Pop would have him parked at the end of the bench. He'd never see daylight ever again, right? So like I think it's those sorts of things they've got a they had an offense that was top five in the league until they had all those injuries. Mm. So I think I think uh, people have been uh, really impressed with the the way they're running offense and that kind of stuff. And Scott Scott Brooks gets some of the credit for that. There, yeah, he's also had to just because of injuries had to have some of the craziest lineups. Like oh my god, some of the, yeah. I mean I I like caught myself seeing it the other day. Like all right, it was Isaiah Thomas, Gary Payton, uh, the second, then Beal, Bonga, Mahini, like. What a weird lineup that is just to say here in 2020. Yes. But he's been forced to do it. Got to get a little creative. Obviously, he's got the long leash because this sort of year is a bit of a, quote-unquote, you know, sort of a wasted year with the John Wall injury. Um, but, you know, we were talking about some of these guys, your, your Bertans and, uh, you know, Hachimura and stuff like that before the injury. Has there been one in particular that's impressed you the most? Is it, is it a Jordan McRae? Is it somebody else that's, like, maybe just shocked you? And you're like, wow, I, I didn't know this guy could play this well. It's a good one. I mean... Does Bertans count? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if Bertans counts, then it's then it's Bertans because I, I didn't realize he was. Everyone knew he was a great shooter, yeah. and there was that like niche movement in San Antonio that he should have been part of the three point contest yeah. last year. But I don't think anybody knew that he was just going to be like bombing from the logo <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Yeah. I also didn't know that he's the most confident man in the world. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is wild. I asked him, he hit one from the logo one night, and I asked him after the game, how far out for you is too far out? And he said, I haven't found out yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love it. Respect. So, so is he going to be there in Chicago at the three-point contest, do you think? I'd be surprised. I can't imagine they wouldn't have him. Like he, he, And he would do it in a... 
in a second, it sounds like. I, I feel comfortable speaking on behalf of him. Uh, <laughs> he will accept that so quickly uh, and <laughs> enter great. that thing so confidently. And quicker than anyone else has ever done it before. He'll get, get through his racks in <laughs> half, his half a minute, you think? <laughs> his release is so quick. I, I'll, I'll have some story on, on his shooting and his confidence at some point soon. Uh, it's, 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 it's really funny because he's a super nice guy, and it, it comes off as very – it's never like some people are are confident in the way they grade others, and he just is so confident in his shooting. But it makes sense. Like, yeah. how unreasonably confident? How unreasonable is it to start practicing shots from the logo, right? As if as if they're game shots. Who would say? Who would spot up from forty feet and be like, you know what? I feel like there's a reasonable <laughs> chance I'll be able to do this in a game one day. Let's right. get some like good one, work in. Yeah, it's not like one day he just received the ball in a game at the logo and was like, I'm gonna shoot it. Oh, I made it. I guess I'll shoot these now. He practiced those forever. Like who? The the unreasonable amount of confidence that you have to have in order to just start practicing those is. Beyond me. Did the team know that Bertans was going to be like this, or did he come into training camp and they're like, this guy's crazy? Because like you're saying, people knew in the Spurs he could shoot, but he's not like coming around screens 30 feet out and pulling from there, or pulling on the break, that sort of thing. Was yeah. it like in, in training camp, they're like, well, we got we to gotta find here on our hands. I think it was a little bit of a mix, because he kind of played this way in Europe, mm -hmm. and they have a major, major uh, European scouting staff now, Tommy Shepard, who's their new GM. Uh, has a lot of experience scouting in Europe and, and really loves European players. And they just hired a new uh, head of pro personnel, Johnny Rogers, who is one of the most respected international scouts in the league, used to live in Barcelona and actually played college basketball with Scott Brooks. Huh. And and I think part of their reason for liking him, I mean, they got him basically for free. Mm -hmm. So you can get a good player for free, get him for free. But I think part of the reason for liking him was because of how he played when he was in Europe. He'd run off screens more and kind of play this style a little bit more. But I don't know if anybody realized, like, oh, man, this guy is going to have one of the two or three best shooting seasons in the NBA yeah. and, like, one of the ten best shooting seasons in the history of the league <laughs> as soon as we get him. I, I don't know if, if that was But you think, the and they're thing. like, because of the way he played in Europe, they're probably in their minds like, He's just in the Spurs system. You know, they got him boxed up a little bit. We can unleash him maybe. Yeah, I think and, there and was they're some probably hoping for that. I think there was some of that because he, he did play that way in Europe. So I think yeah. they – and they knew that. They saw that. But I don't know if they were like, yeah, let's let's have him take nine threes yeah. a game. Yeah. And, and he's going to make four of them. And, and he's just going to be pulling up from 35. I watch him in practice, and he just does catch-and-shoot drills from 35 feet. And he hits all of them, and it's crazy. <laughs> Was it? It's like you can see the range in an open gym, but it's just wild. Against the Hornets, he hit like eight. Uh, he was eight for eight, wasn't he? And he was just like the the ball was just cut crossing halfway, and he was just letting go of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, like to get that hot. You know, not a lot of guys can get quite that hot where they're just like, as soon as I get the ball, I'm letting it fly. But I guess in this system with Washington as well, he's got that opportunity this year. Yeah, in that in that Hornets game. Yeah, he hit eight threes, and then that Hornets game, they start after his fifth one or so because he get he gets when he hits them, he hits them in bunches, and and so they started picking him up like behind half court, <laughs> and there was a play where he's I think it was his eighth three of the game where he just crosses half court and the Wizards just pass it to him, and there's a guy right in his face, and he's a few feet in front of the half court line on. I, I guess it's technically the wing if yeah, I had to yeah, choose yeah. an area of the court, but it's like off the wing, right. and and he just puts it up with a hand in his face with 19 seconds left on the shot clock. <laughs> no, no, no reasonably minded human being would ever try this, <laughs> ever. He's shooting almost nine threes a game, as as he said, 42 percent. Uh, it's always good to remind yourself the guy is on fire out there, and he's a big dude. He's huge. Yeah, yeah he's, he's like, like 6'10". 10. 10. Yeah. yeah, he's like 6'10". Because like, in your head, like a shooter, you're like, oh, okay, he's like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, you know, I don't know, that's where my mind goes. And you're like, no, this guy's... Well, or if like you're a 6'10 shooter, you're like Steve Novak, and you're just waiting. You're just waiting for somebody to right, pick you the ball. Right. You're not moving all around the court and chucking. I mean, he's on a tiny deal, $7 million this year, and it expires. He's been in trade rumors enough that it's like... You're just looking at a team that's not doing very well in the Wizards, and he's playing well. Maybe we could try to get him. But it also seems like Bertans is the exact kind of player that you would want to keep around John Wall and Bradley Beal. So 
What's their thinking coming into the trade deadline here? Are they going to look to move Bertans? Because that seems a little silly to me. Nah, I, I, they, they insist that they do not want to move him, and I'm inclined to believe them mm-hmm. because I think, I think when a, a team doesn't want to move somebody, even when it's genuine, you know, they start to leak out like we don't want to. We don't want to move this guy. You know, sources say the Wizards really want to keep Davis Bertans. Except Tommy Shepard just came out in an interview and put his name on it and was like, no, we don't want to trade him. We intend to keep him. It's all just working out the numbers from here. So when your GM just comes out and says that in an interview, that just kind of puts an end to it. Because yeah. all of a sudden now he has to like not just go back on his word. It's not like he told him that personally. He has to go back on his word publicly. Mm. I, I I'm going to put it within the realm of possibilities they trade him because there are only so many players that you just can't get, you you just, you know, that are totally untradeable, that there is yeah. not a fair offer out there for you to get. If somebody calls them up and offers them Carl Anthony Towns for Davis Bertans, they might consider breaking their word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I, I don't think, realistically, I think there's a very small chance. They want to pay him. Like, they want to pay him. So they see him probably a part of their future. Yes, they, 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 like what Trey said, like they are gushing over the possibility of him playing with John. Right, right. They are everyone. I mean, Scott Brooks is dying to see him with John Wall. Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal said he's the best shooter he's ever seen. Bradley Beal is dying to see him play next to, you know, play with him and, and John Wall at the same time. He is, he's a, he's a perfect, think of all the shooters John Wall's gotten paid. Yeah, yeah, right. Jared Dudley and Martel Webster and Trevor Ariza and all these guys and like think about how much better of a shooter and an off ball mover Davis Bertans is than than all those all guys. guys. Yeah. Garrett Temple. Yeah. So he's gonna get paid. He is gonna get paid. <laughs> he's gonna get paid before John Wall. But I could I could see them being really good together. Even if John Wall is, you know, eighty five percent of what he was. I could I could just see John, John Wall, like Kirk Goldsberry tweeted out something the other day that John Wall since like 2014 or 2015 is still fifth in the NBA over that time at creating corner threes. And he's missed like 150 wow. games yeah. during that span. So people would want to play with John, John Wall, the player. People would want to play with Bradley Beal, the player. It would seem like an attractive situation. You've been on the beat for a year and a half there. You've been to OKC. You had a cup of coffee with the Celtics. <laughs> Would you? Do you think? Journeyman. <laughs> is it a? It, it's, it's like a mellow Atlanta situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's a huge city, but it's not looked at as a desirable destination. Do you think it is for free agents? Probably not, because nobody's gone. I I love it. I really like DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lot to do. Good food scene. Uh. I don't know. I've never heard an NBA player say, like, yeah, you know, I signed here because I went to the Aaron Space Museum, and it was just beautiful. <laughs> the Amelia Earhart exhibit was unbelievable, <laughs> and I just had to go. I've never heard that. Right. So, so I, I love D.C. Um, but if Stephen until, Adams ever signs in Washington, he'll say yeah. something like that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they got to get a history buff yeah. or something. Yeah. So yeah. he really likes museums. Yeah. That's true. Uh, Bradley Beal likes it a lot there, yep. obviously. Wouldn't stay. And I've heard guys who were there, like Bertans loves it. Bertans' family loves it. Like, I've heard guys who are there talk about how once they get there, they're like, this is such a great city. I don't really want to go. But, you know, how many NBA cities are really ones that guys sign with for the city? It's very few. Mm-hmm. It's like New York, L.A., mm-hmm. Miami. Is that? That's it. I mean, we talked about Boston in this way forever. And then they signed Gordon Hayward, now Horford. Now we don't talk about it this way it's like i i feel like boston and dc are kind of aligned as similar types of cities but they're really only like three cities yeah. that we consider yeah. destinations unless i'm forgetting like chicago doesn't get anybody and that's, that's chicago right. yeah. you know mm-hmm. yeah i guess i'm including sort of the backcourt like those dudes as a bit of a magnet for free agents yeah i would i would think they are maybe this comes back to the to the bradley beal attracting players type of thing Right, like mm-hmm. maybe this is all part of the same, the same conversation. Like, I I don't know if if Brad is, uh, I don't know if Brad recruits. He's made jokes about wanting to recruit guys to DC before. They also just haven't had the cap situation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, when was the last time they they had legitimate cap space? And if they want to resign Bertans, they're not going to have it this year either. They've just kind of been capped out for a while. They've had big contracts. Say they haven't really had the situation. 
to make those big signings either. They tried to get Al Horford. Uh, he ended up opting to go to Boston. Uh, tried that, to get Durant. Tried, tried to work. get Durant. Ended up getting uh, those Mahimi threes. There you go. Yeah, yep. Instead. <laughs> getting threes one way or another. <laughs> but, yeah, like 2016, that was the last time that they really had uh, any space, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it did not work out. Yeah, okay. I wonder if that changes with Bradley Beal signing an extension, whether or not he's going to recruit. But it also depends on the cap room. That's, that's a good point. Uh, you're, we're talking geography a little bit. Let's get to uh, some Japanese geography because Scott Brooks is uh, very popular in Japan. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I guess because Rui Achimura is on the team. Have you have you talked to Scotty Brooks about his um, his fame, his Japanese fame? Yes. Yes, I have. Tell uh, me about it. It's it's a really weird thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because I, I asked uh, the guy who who runs like the Japanese social team for the Wizards, who the second most like behind Rui, who's the guy everybody really likes in Japan. I was certain he was going to say Bradley Beal. Yeah. Certain. And he was like, Scott Brooks. <laughs> they love him. <laughs> and he said they think of him as a great father figure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Japanese fans think of him as a great father figure. And I was like, all right, sure. Seems like a kind guy. I think he's a, he's a very kind guy. Like, he thinks he, they think he's a great mentor to Rui. Yeah, I guess that's what they're getting yeah. at with that. Yeah. yeah. And and I was certain. And it's like, it's like Rui Hachimura at the top. And then Scott Brooks. And it's like. Nobody else matters. <laughs> so where, where does, where does Cats really fall in the dad. line there, though? Because I, yeah. I I know Nick Friedel, who used to cover the Bulls. He went to Australia one time where Chicago, the Chicago Bulls, because of the Jordan era, are the most popular team. And he said when he got to Australia, people were fascinated with Nick Friedel. So, <laughs> I mean, more fascinated with his voice. Yeah, though. well, that's true. That's yeah. like, come out of your mouth. But there's dude. a whole cool uh, untapped market for Fred Katz in Japan. There might be. There might be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're yet to find out, but there might be. It's plausible. What, what's what's Rui been like covering him in, in his first year here? Uh, he already comports himself like a veteran. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's very quiet, very quiet. Really keeps to himself a lot. Um, he's very bright, uh, but he's kind of hard to get to know, to be honest. Because like, there are some guys you cover who are just like these big personalities. Jordan McRae who will come up to anybody and start making jokes at anybody in the world. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum, where Rui's just this very quiet kid who kind of just keeps to himself and wants to come in and play basketball and work hard and treats everybody well. He's just kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. And you can walk up to him, say, Rui, how you doing? And he'll say, I'm good, how are you? And and he kind of just moves on with his day from there. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's funny to be around him because before I had met him, I hit up a bunch of people I knew who knew him, you know, the Wizards or a couple people at Gonzaga. And, and so many people compared him to Kawhi. Like, there were people, Chauncey compared him to Kawhi, the player. But I mean, like, compared his personality right. and work ethic and that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know Kawhi, but from Kawhi's reputation, like, I see you sort that. Of see it, yeah. I see that. He's, he's very quiet. And he's very reserved, and he just kind of wants to work hard and play basketball and do a good job and be a pro and and just kind of leave it, leave all the other stuff out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I I very very much see that from a personality standpoint. And off to a great start. I mean, before the injury, the unfortunate. Yeah, he's injury. talented. Yeah, I mean, was putting up decent numbers for he's, a rookie. He's really interesting in 2020 because he is he might just be one of those dudes who breaks the numbers from mid range, hmm. where like. He takes a lot of mid-range shots, but maybe they're just good shots for him. Mm-hmm. He's shooting a ridiculous percentage on mid-range pull-ups, which like rookies just don't do. Yeah, and he's got to get better at a lot of things: yeah. passing and scoring around the rim and shooting threes and defense, all that kind of stuff. But he's he's very fluid and and for sure really talented. And I think it's going to be a really interesting player. There's a couple small guards on this team. You mentioned Isaiah Thomas and Ish Smith as well. Is it neat being sort of eye level with a couple basketball players? <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine it is just to have a couple guys around <laughs> yeah. that are, you know, yep. sort of your height. It's uh, it's 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 good for my neck. Good for the good old neck. <laughs> <laughs> good for the Looking cat. up all the time, 
Like, there's a great story to be written about NBA writers and uh, their struggles with whiplash. Yeah. are <laughs> just constantly looking up in scrums all the time. And then they only respect taller guys like Trey Kirby more than players mm. do. I'm yeah. convinced. Like, they got no time for us 5'10", 5'11s of the world. They yeah. want to see uh, the 6'4", 6'5s. They're like, yeah, okay, this guy's tall. I respect. This guy gets it. <laughs> but the, it, what's funny is, like, big guys consider themselves almost, like, normal height. And then, in a figurative sense, look down on everybody. Like, like they would consider Trey short. Yeah. Like, right. Stephen Adams would call Trey short yeah, that's and right. genuinely that's right. think of him <laughs> yeah. as short, not, not comprehend that he is the large one <laughs> right. in the world, you know? <laughs> hey, when I, was, when I was in college at Syracuse, I was, about, I was a manager on the basketball team. And I was about a half an inch or an inch taller than Johnny Flynn. Wow. Great great dude, Johnny Flynn. Very upset that he 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 had the career that he had. Quick career, yeah. Awesome dude. Gr- amazing leader. And uh and I was rebounding pregame and Johnny was walking by and a ball like ricocheted to us and I kind of grabbed it with not realizing he was there and just kind of handed it over to him and he kind of gave me gave me like a like a joking intense look from me stealing the rebound from him. And and I made a joke about being taller than him. Johnny, such a nice guy. I mean, like, unbelievably nice guy. Like, would go out of his way to lead that entire program. Like, the way people talk about, like, Damian Lillard was kind of how I viewed him as, like, a leader in that locker room. It was incredible. He was, like, an incredible guy to watch. He was a year older than me, and it was amazing. But he had this wild competitive streak. So I made a joke about his height, and he looks at me and says, I will give you a trampoline and still dunk on you. <laughs> Are you still playing at all? Oh my god, I'm terrible. But uh, terrible? Yeah, yeah, terrible. But <laughs> oh, you're playing. I try. Okay, good for you. I attempt to. Okay. Uh, uh, just before uh, the other guys turned up this morning, we were, we were talking off uh, off the mic uh, because I assumed you were an LA guy because you started there at the Clipper blog, but you told me you're from New York, and I was like. How does a New York kid become a uh, work for the Clipper blog? So, so because I thought it was a funny story. So, tell the guys how that all started. How I became a Clipper fan? Yeah, uh, Eric Piekowski. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> Eric Piekowski in uh, Kobe Bryant uh, NBA courtside '98. Money. Killer shooting form, yeah. <laughs> just drain stuff. Great Ooh. form. It was great. Great digital form. Great it was digital form. It was it was awesome. It was killer. And so I was eight years old. I was like, guess I'm a fan of this awesome Clippers team. <laughs> I went nine and forty one in the lockout year. <laughs> got Tough to choice. got to root for a team run by a old racist owner. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. one of my best life decisions. Yeah. yeah. And so you still I mean, I know no, you're I grew, no, not anymore. You lose it when you cover the league. But I, I grew up a Clippers fan. It, it stopped being a Clippers fan just in just in time to make it all not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> we hear you. Uh, we came here just as the Raptors got good. Um, uh, you dropped a Jan Mathremi's pun a little earlier. We know you love a good pun. Um, Jesse Smith sent this in on Twitter. What's more satisfying, writing a good story or coming up with just the right pun? Mm. <laughs> I... <laughs> and, and, and if you could, if you want to recall one of your great puns from this season, because you've been dropping some some hot ones. This Very year. pun friendly here. What a what a ridiculous question. <laughs> I can, it's it's so funny that like I work for Hall of Famer David Aldridge, and yet that's the question. That, <laughs> the level, the respect levels of, between my boss and me is just unbelievably the disparity. Uh, yeah, probably the pun. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Totally. Sadly. That's the right if, answer. If, when you know you got a good one. Um, it's on top of the world. Yeah, you let it fire off. Like Lee with a banana peel. You yeah. just let it fly. Man. Oh, that's yeah. what he's doing in that, isn't it? <laughs> uh, do, you, do you ever hold on to a great pun to make it uh, into the article? Or no. is it, you're firing it on Twitter? No, I don't really put puns in my articles. Yeah, okay. I find, I find them grating in writing, and I don't enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it seem like you're trying too hard. Yeah. They're good in headlines. Good oh, yeah. in headlines. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Same for the headlines. Good clickbait. Every once in a while, you can have a play on words yeah. in writing, but I don't really like them in writing, so I very, very rarely use them 
in writing unless the the situation really, really calls for it. So Twitter (laughs) is like my perfect outlet to get it out of my system so I can have like everybody hate me and then I can send out my story and people be like, I don't want to read this. It's just going to be puns. (laughs) And then only to find there aren't even any puns. Right, right. It's really a horrible marketing strategy. It's the only way I know how to do it. Well, one of the uh, things I enjoy about your writing is that you insert the accents on the A's in Davis Burton's. (laughs) Those are important accents on those A's. Do you do that, or does the editor do that? And do you like? Do you enjoy that? You have no idea how good this question is, <laughs> because I I hit up my editor the other day and was like, "Who's been putting all the accents on all the A's in Davis Burton's?" Because I have literally never done that. <laughs> and like, we need to make a stylistic choice on whether we're gonna go with, I guess, like. It would be read as Davis Burton's without the accents. Right. Or if we're going to actually say Davis Burton's. And we had the very nerdy accent or no accent conversation and decided on accents. But I'm so lazy that I have still, I don't even know how to use that accent. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I only know how to use the, uh, like, command E accent. The accent est good, as the French call yeah. Exactly. It's the only one that I know how to use. And, and it would take far too long. For me to Google it, so, <laughs> so you let sure. the, let you let them do it. Basically. So I, I I let my uh, my editors. Uh, quite honestly, I have forgotten while writing it every single time. But props to my amazing editors for literally yeah. never letting one slip. Mm. I'm sure he, resp- I'm sure he respects that, work. Davis. I'm sure he has no idea. Yeah, about no, no, no. <laughs> he doesn't even know who you are. No, no, no. He's better off. Speaking of people not knowing who you are, you said Russell Westbrook. <laughs> That's how you knew he knew who you were was by him acting like he didn't know who you are. That's got to be a weird thing to when you get dissed. You're like, I've made it. I've done it. <laughs> well, he he had said I, I wrote in that story. I can curse on here, right? Yep. Yeah, let it yeah, fly. That's it's like a pun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I had known. I really knew because because he he said, "Don't be a dickhead, Fred." <laughs> that was that was how I really knew, and. And and as uh, as Brett Dawson, who covers the Lakers for us, uh, and was we were covering the Thunder at the same time, always points out, he didn't call you a dickhead. Right. He just advised you not to be one. <laughs> yep. It was just general life advice. And he also said, "Don't be an asshole, Fred." Or Fred, don't be an asshole. It was uh, on different occasions. It was it was great. It's good advice. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. Don't be a dickhead. <laughs> was, was that after you asked yourself a question at the uh, press conference? No, he, he actually seemed to enjoy that one. <laughs> He actually seemed to enjoy that one. I think that might be proof that he knows my name too. Yeah, because, yeah. Because that was uh, that, that was, was ridiculous. Awesome. Was that the playoffs? Yeah, that was yeah. in the playoffs. That was like my first week on the beat. Describe that for for someone the listener doesn't know what we're talking about. That I uh, prefaced a question to Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook by addressing them as Fred. <laughs> then after that's, that's an awesome. awkward silence, corrected myself and said, I don't know why I'm asking myself a question. <laughs> so and it was on live TV. My phone blew <laughs> up. I picked up like 2,000 Twitter followers that night. <laughs> it was worth it then. Because I had, I had like 3,000 at the time. And I picked up, it was my first week on NBA Beat. Wow. And I picked up like 2,000. I had like 100, because it was live on TNT. Yeah, it was yeah, after yeah. a Spurs Thunder playoff game. I had texts from my friends just being like, oh, my God. I can't what believe you haven't done you? it again then if it was so profitable <laughs> for you. <laughs> Dude, every question. <laughs> Fred, Fred, Fred. Yeah, every question. That would go over great. That was where would know who I was then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of Fred, I don't know if this, uh, this Twitter user has inside information, but Caleb Slinkard wrote in and asked, what's your real name? Oh, well, that's uh, it's my former editor. Oh okay. oh, okay. So he does. He does. Uh, my real name is Matthew. What? Yeah. Middle name Fred? Nope. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, you're blowing what? my mind. Uh, Fred is a nickname that everybody has called me since about third grade. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yep. This is wild. Yeah. People normally have this reaction. <laughs> Why the nickname? Why Fred? Uh, my third grade teacher nicknamed me Fred, and I, I don't quite remember why 
Uh, it wasn't. I don't think it was that like Fred Flintstone seminal. That's the only thing I think maybe. Of. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know. I don't just, know. Just, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, right. But I don't <laughs> think he would do that with a nine-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he'd do that with a nine-year-old. Yeah, I know. yeah, that'd be a little messed up. Uh, no, I, it's. I don't think it was that seminal of a moment for me. Yeah, I definitely mm. pushed it because I was just a weird nine-year-old kid. Uh, and then it was just like everyone was calling me Fred, and I was like, I guess this is my name. Wow. Um, <laughs> And I, I definitely contributed to to all of it, and my uh, my parents were thrilled, as you can imagine, and uh, yeah, and just for I guess twenty uh, some odd years now, everyone is just this is amazing called me Fred, yeah. No one calls this me Matthew. No Nobody. One. My my like your parents. My mom. mom calls me Matthew. My dad calls me Matt. My brother and I refer to each other ex- exclusively as brother or brother for short. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and that those are the only two people your mom and dad yeah. call you Matthew. That's and Matt. pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm shook right now. And uh, is it is your last name Dogs or Matt <laughs> 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 uh, <Bad> Dogs? <laughs> well, thanks to uh, Caleb for sending oh, that yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing what stuff. A gem. Um, that's wild. Uh, then I guess the, our final question is: Do you like cats? I I hate cats. <laughs> uh, I knew it. I hate cats. They're awful. Is Russell Westbrook a cat or a dog? Oh, we asked him that. <laughs> I've I've listened to this debate many times, right? And I've <laughs> I've thought times. about it. Yeah. And to me, the difficult part, I think Russell's personality is a cat, but his basketball style is a dog. Mm, that's right. That is exactly because, right. That's why it's such a difficult question. I know because because Russell Russell reacts to a loose ball the same way like a golden retriever <laughs> does when you throw a tennis ball. Sure. He's like, I am going to get that before anybody. Right. And then he does. And then he will run back in the other direction when he gets in. So excited that he got the ball. Right. But the personality. But the personality is very cat-like. Yeah. But I think the personality contributes to more of his life. Like, he, hmm. is, he is being a person. For longer <laughs> than he is playing basketball. Right. So if you had to pick one or the other, so sounds I have like you're to say, leading. So I have to say cat. Yeah. Because that is the more predominant thing. Because like, he's a person all the time. Mm. But what a quote. He's a basketball player. <laughs> some of the time. Yeah. And we asked him that. We we asked all the all stars that, yeah. or as many as we could, uh, at an all star weekend. And if I do recall, we asked that directly to Russell Westbrook and as I asked the question he had his back turned to me he just he was sitting on a chair but for some reason his mood was telling him to turn his back to me and it was very cat like uh, <laughs> there's, there's no way around it and he was being a person then he wasn't being a basketball player so you're right on Matthew Dogs no Fred Katz I, uh, thank you Fred for coming and this was a lot of fun it was great you can catch Fred's work on The Athletic and as a host of Wizards After Dark a post game podcast and we will be back with our daily show on tuesday thanks everybody